Hi there. Welcome to my publication, Princess and the Pea, where we explore life's tests as we move along in our path towards healing from trauma. Thanks for being here. I'm Faith Christine Bergevin, and you can call me Faith. In today's podcast, we explore the consequences of speaking up in a world that often wants to shut us down. Hope you enjoy it. Confessional essays, a good idea or asking for trouble on the consequences of sharing. Last week's post resulted in an interesting turn of events. For one, my piece had the most dramatic impact since I began this newsletter a little over three weeks ago. I decided to start using the podcast tab and uploaded the audio version, which resulted in several downloads. Now, this is all relative since I'm so new here, but to me, it was significant. The response to the audio version prompted me to add other posts I've recorded. So the results of my speaking are all up there to see and hear. Okay, that might be a little on the nose due to my chosen image, a riff on the three wise monkeys, but it gave me a thrill. For another, a close friend asked me what I hoped to do with this newsletter and wondered why it had to be so personal. I believe he was genuinely curious, as opposed to judging me about this, and I've been thinking of his question ever since. Herein lies my reasoning about writing in this space. Essentially, and this may sound a little simplistic at first, my life is my life and I want to write about what moves me. I've been writing for years now, exploring my experiences in private journals and literary essays. As many of you writers might attest, there is something satisfying about the process, organizing ideas into a hopefully coherent structure that again, hopefully, provides a satisfying experience for the reader. In this personal process, I become clearer on my own thoughts and feelings for the purpose of laying to rest something that irks me so I can move on to the next. Apparently, there are a lot of things that irk me. My exploration often takes me into a social criticism of sorts of what is wrong with the world. After all, in my clinical practice, I listen to clients share common issues that are often rooted in one or more of the isms of our time. Sexism, racism, just to name two prominent ones. In addition, themes of identity, image versus reality, dealing with painful feelings and difficult relationships, confusion over personal values, and meaning of life are all subjects for therapeutic discovery. However, aside from what I learn and experience as a therapist, I have a desire to write and a desire to share that writing. I want to write about what is important to me, and I've realized that this has the potential for consequences I may not be able to anticipate. I may write about subjects that are not popular or generally accepted. I'm aware there might be an unfavorable response due to the issues and views I bring up here. Some may even seem controversial. So with who I am, writer, survivor, and therapist, I write to purge, to clarify, to express, to understand, to play. And in sharing the results of that exploration, I may challenge the views of readers. I may challenge you. Yes, this is one purpose of writing, I think, offering a persuasive argument to shift a narrative or invite critical thought on an issue. Sometimes with my writing here, that will mean sharing personal experiences that fall outside the scope of polite society. This week's post was supposed to be about disenfranchised grief. I say supposed to 
because I'd planned to share stories and ideas around disenfranchised grief and trauma, but something held me back. It may have to do with potential consequences, the consequence of sharing something personal. Am I ready to experience those consequences? As much as I believe I can write about life, my own life, and how certain events have affected me, including my lived experience of trauma, there will likely be consequences that fall outside of my control. I think it's worth noting that since I'm offering this newsletter for free at this time, I don't have control over who happens upon this publication and reads the more personal aspects. So essentially, the ones who instigated trauma could read about my personal process. Now, I am far enough along on my healing journey that I'm not entirely spooked by that. But it doesn't please me. I'm here to share with people who are on their own journeys. For you, dear listener, who is searching for answers wherever you might be on that journey and not provide fodder for the abusers in the world. Still, I want to grow and expand my reach, not limit myself out of fear. See my quandary? Essentially, I feel a little stuck as I consider the potential ramifications of having a somewhat confessional newsletter. What am I stepping into here? Living in the muck of stuck. Even though I had plans to write about something else, I don't feel ready to. I feel stuck. In this stuckness, I sit pondering what needs to happen today, now. I ask myself what it is I need to do to become unstuck. I remain in the muck of stuck and watch the wall in front of me, all sticky and thick, blocking me from moving through it. The therapist rises within me and says, it is here where you are stuck. That is the work. Where we are stuck is where the work is. I may not like it, but I've made a complicated piece with it. After all, this is part of what I do with clients in my practice. We explore their stuck places so they can see how stuckness is part of an internal mechanism designed to protect us from the consequences of change. Life's consequences. The friend who spurred my thought process on why I'm here knew right away who I was referencing in last week's post. Even though I was careful about disguising the man's identity, it was obvious to him since he knows us both. The dance community is quite small and my peace could have ripple effects for my life going forwards. But for my friend, a man who has witnessed many such infractions in dance halls, my peace spurred him to confront the man after he checked with me first. Acknowledging how the man's actions affected me is a form of seeing what happened and what the world continues to allow, which includes many men's feelings of entitlement to access women's bodies. Writing about the experience was me speaking about it, which personally helped me since I did not let it fester inside. Further, by sharing about it here in an audio form, I'm allowing others to hear about it. Was that really a good idea? Good or not, it is done. It has already had consequences that I didn't consider last week when I posted. First, with my friend, who was inspired to act. And now for me, there are new angles I couldn't have foreseen then. Last week, I was trying to make sense of a moment in time and what it meant for me as a woman. I'd read in dance forums that women encounter harassment on the dance floor consistently. I can name many other instances since I started social dancing over five years ago. Ones that stick out? 
A man patting my behind after my dance with him. Another man I was partnered with in a workshop, placing his finger in my hip bone to figure out which leg my weight was on after the teacher asked the leads this question. A man pulling me into him for a tight hug after a dance. And a man telling me he wanted to spank me during an, yet another lesson. These things happen to women everywhere, but many of us are socialized to be polite and not say anything so we don't ruin the vibe of a fun night or seem uptight or crazy. A word men like to use to silence a woman. Now, the main consequence I've noticed within myself after posting the piece is a resistance to going social dancing at all, even though I love it. Dance is a central element of my self-care practice, and now I find myself no longer wanting to go, as I feel uncomfortable with the thought of attending venues where such infractions are overlooked and often enabled. I am weary of dealing with entitled men. I don't want to confront a guy or have awkward moments. But I don't want to put up with poor behavior either. Honestly, I just want to be able to dance and socialize in peace without anyone impinging on my space. Now, due to what I shared last week, it's complicated for me. I feel a certain pressure to no longer put up with what I did that time because I've now spoken up about what happened to me and how it affected me. I've set a new standard. I have to enforce it now, don't I? In a world that doesn't look favorably on women speaking up and instead encourages us to shut up. Maybe I should just stay home. At what point will the consequences be too high for me in my personal life? These are real concerns for how I choose to move forward in the public spaces I decide to attend. My speaking up has created an internal debate on which places are worth it to me and which are not, knowing perfectly well that life has a strange sense of humor and will likely surprise me at a time and place I least expect. Yes, life, you are funny. Still, I can't help but wonder if my continued sharing about the wrongs of society will make others stand up and go, wait, you want to call out men on their behavior? And you still think you can come back to dances? I don't think so. Life's little test. But then life keeps reminding me, do you want to live in silence or do you want to speak? Life says, do you want to perpetuate the see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil attitude, which is akin to turning a blind eye to societal issues so we continue living in denial? I don't know about you, but I'm kind of done with that. If we as a society continue to see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil, refusing to name societal infractions when they happen, we are complicit in the evil perpetuating. To answer my friend's question of why I choose to write about personal matters, because with this newsletter, I'm offering up an opportunity for us to name an issue, see it, write and post about it, speak it, and listen to a performed audio rendition. Hear it right now. I'm not sure who wants to hear and listen about it and learn about it, but here I am learning how to speak about what I see. The consequences for me of writing this piece today the stuck place seems a little less mucky, even as I still face the wall. How about you? Thanks for listening. Uh, I did want to let our podcast listeners know 
that there were a few footnotes and so I just wanted to speak a little bit about the footnotes as we conclude this piece. So my first footnote refers to the famous image of monkey statues that are identified with the saying, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. So that's the image of this piece, of course. Um, my second footnote is about disenfranchised grief. It is a term that was coined by Dr. Kenneth Doka in 1989. And basically disenfranchised means it's not really socially sanctioned. It's not accepted as a socially acceptable grief. So an example would be the death of an affair partner. So if it's, you know, your husband or your wife or your spouse partner, you know, people will say, oh, I'm so sorry and give you sympathy in your grief. But if you're the affair partner, then you're likely not to get that kind of support or sympathy. So that's called disenfranchised, or that's an example of disenfranchised grief. Uh, my third footnote is uh, about my friend. So what my friend shared with me about confronting the man from last week's story. So I just wanted to let listeners know that he gave me his permission to share that in this piece this week. My fourth footnote is but one article about how women are socialized to be silent about what happens to us. So if you Google, you know, women being silenced, you'll come up with lots of articles that have been written mostly by women. And I thought this was a nice one. It's by Susanna Quintana. It's called The Cultural Silencing of Women. And my fifth footnote is about the term evil. So I use the term evil loosely here in reference to the famous trio of monkeys. I'm not calling any person evil and I'm not getting religious here. I fully recognize that there are different gradients of evil all on a continuum. How we feel about a given evil has much to do with who we are and what we've experienced and how we want to be treated. In addition to what the greater social community agrees on what actually constitutes evil that is a crime. So again, I want to thank you for listening to my piece this week. Thank you for joining me here on Princess of the P. Um, I hope that uh, you consider supporting me either by leaving a comment or becoming a subscriber. This is a reader supported newsletter and I welcome you here in the community. Thank you.